0: Welcome to What's Working in Marketing, a podcast for marketers that uncovers what's working across the digital landscape by tapping into the world's best data backed research and through candid conversations with industry experts. I'm your host, Charlie Grinnell. On this episode, I'm joined by Ross Simmons, founder and CEO of Foundation Marketing. Ross, I've been following you for a long time. Thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thanks for having me, Charlie. I'm excited to jump in and chat about marketing growth and all that distribution good stuff. It's going to be fun.
0: So I always go back to the beginning with episodes like this. A lot of our listeners, you know, sometimes they know the guests, sometimes they don't know the guests. I'd love it if you could kind of just take us back and and share just kind of your career journey today, where you've kind of worked in the past, how it shaped you to, to kind of where you're at today with Foundation.
1: So I would say I'm going to take folks back way back into time, um, and it would have been way back into my high school days. In high school, I got my first itch and interest in entrepreneurship. I started to sell do-rags out of my locker. And as a Canadian, I think you'll be able to align with me on this, which is the fact that when you can buy poutine and you don't have to use like your allowance from your parents and you can buy it for your friends, there's nothing better. And I was able to use my do-rag money to buy poutine every single day throughout high school. And that was when I fell in love with the idea of entrepreneurship and I knew I wanted to be my own boss. You fast forward a few years later, um, I started a website about fantasy sports and that helped me pay for my university. And then from there, I started a community online about a video game called The Sims as well as Madden. And at that moment, I knew that this internet thing was going to take off because I was living in my parents' basement in a small place called Preston, Nova Scotia. And I was reaching people all over the globe. My traffic started to skyrocket and go to the moon, but my marks started to tank. And my mom had a very harsh conversation with me and was like, son, you need to shift your focus back to your schoolwork. So she made me shift my blog from writing about fantasy sports and writing about video games to writing about marketing, which I was studying in school. And then you fast forward a few years later and that blog, Rosssimmons.com started to take off and get some eyeballs on it from people all over the globe. So I started to get flown out to speak at events on the things I was writing about on my website, ended up getting a job at a local ad agency, worked there for about a year and a half, maybe two years. And then I quit and started up my own company. Those companies ranged from startups and SaaS companies all the way through to experience based companies. And at the same time, still running Rossimmons.com and doing marketing consulting with startups. Fast forward a few more years and that company, Rossimmons.com, evolved into foundation marketing, which is where I am today. And we work exclusively with B2B SaaS companies on content marketing as it relates to strategy, creation of content, and distribution of content. And we're a team fully remote, spread out all over the globe, working with some of the fastest growing and largest SaaS companies today.
0: That is a lot. The first thing that comes to mind, do rag money, is the funniest thing I've heard in a long time. <laughs> I love that
1: out oh, loud. I feel like I like it. You know,
0: I everybody just wants some to take some do rag money and do stuff, whether it's That's buy protein it. or or do something. That's it. That's um, it. interesting. So you kind of started as as more of like the the solopreneur just kind of like getting involved into everything and it morphed down that path into marketing. That's pretty interesting. Yeah. Um we we took a dig through the archives of your archives specifically on Twitter. And and one of the things that jumped out at me that I, I loved is kind of a controversial take on on content. Mm-hmm. And one of the things you said was that an often overused and kind of bad piece of advice is from marketing right. gurus is this this idea that content is king. I'm super aligned with you on that. I feel like there's kind of two camps here. There's like the content people and the distribution people. Can you kind of expand on this and, and unpack your thinking there?
1: Yeah, so the biggest thing that I think a lot of people forget is that the idea that content is king, the idea that if you create content, the world will be yours. That whole sentiment is, in my opinion, a little bit Plato. And the reason why it's Plato is because we've realized from the beginning of humankind that if you can tell a powerful story and it can resonate with someone, then you can make an impact. But what we often forget is that sometimes those same stories can be told by other people the same exact way. Two different people can tell the exact same story, but if that story doesn't reach as many people because that person doesn't have a distribution channel, then the person who told the story the exact same way, but just happened to have more distribution is going to win. Two people right now can put up the exact same post, but the person who has more followers, more people on their email list, has a larger audience is going to seem like they have better content. But in fact, what they actually have is better distribution. And I think a lot of organizations, a lot of people get caught up in this idea that they think they're not actually creating good content because their sample size is quite small. So the idea of content being king is to me a very, it's a very bad cliche because at the end of the day, we should all just strive to create good content. Like that should be a fundamental thing that we all strive to do. There's this great comedy take. I think it was Eddie Murphy. Maybe it was Chris Rock who said, everybody brags about raising their kids. That's what you're supposed to do. The same (laughs) thing exists in content marketing, Like you don't get brownie points for creating good content. Like that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to create content that is good for the people you're trying to influence and people you're trying to reach. So that should just be done and accepted as like the status quo. But what we don't do is we don't ensure after we press publish on these pieces of content that they're actually reaching the right people. And that is something that I think more and more organizations need to understand and really embrace.
0: Totally. You, it reminds me of, uh, there's a book called hit makers by a guy named Derek Thompson. He's a writer for the Atlantic. Okay. And, and he actually, I, I read this book probably just around the same time I started following you actually, cause you cool. were yelling about distribution. I was like, this Ross guy is onto something here. Yeah. And, uh, And then I read this book, Hitmakers, and he kind of talks about distribution and he uses examples over periods of time in in history. And so I, you know, if you're, if you're listening, check out the book Hitmakers on Amazon or whatever, go, go find it by Derek Thompson. And one of the examples he gives is uh, it's a rock song in the 50s, Rock Around the Clock Tonight, like that, yeah. that song. I'm not going to sing it because I'm going to scare everybody. I was looking
1: forward to it. I, I thought you might. I thought but you uh, might. What,
0: what he kind of talks about was that song. And I don't know the exact date here. You'd have to read the book. But the song was released in 1953. And it kind of fell flat. And then mm-hmm. in 1954, it was used in the intro of a huge movie. And that right. movie ended up winning an Oscar. And then all of a sudden, that song took off on the charts. And he's like, the song was the same in 1953 as it was in 54 the difference yeah. was distribution. Right. And it's kind of like
1: that recent Fleetwood Mac track with the dog face 208 the juice, drinking yeah. the cranberry juice. It's like, I personally, and I know some people are going to yell at me on the internet. I had no clue who Fleetwood Mac was <laughs> until I seen that TikTok. And now I've had that track on repeat over and over again. Like yeah. it's so, so true.
0: Yeah. The one other example that I've used before in, in kind of presentations, because I've looked into this idea of like, what's something that went big later on because of distribution? And another one uh, that I found was the movie Shawshank Redemption. Mm. And what happened was that I think the year it was produced, it cost 20 million bucks to produce, but it only did 9 million at the box office. I think it was nominated for an Oscar. And last time I checked, when you spend 20 million bucks on a movie, you're not trying to make nine. Right. Just like basic okay. business math there.
1: Business map. Okay. But what was
0: interesting is I think like after it kind of went through that found fair, I believe like TNT bought it for as like a TV movie and it yeah. got like this wide distribution. And wow. now fast forward, I think it's on like IMDb's top 100 movies in the past 100 years. And it, it's this cult kind of classic thing that has gone huge. Oh. And again, same film when it was produced and that's released it. to, that's... you know, it just found distribution. So that's, that's mm-hmm. super, super interesting. I want to, I want to kind of expand on that. So, you know, we, You've kind of said that hitting publish in the past is is only the beginning, not the end. Yeah. How does right. a business, you know, if there are marketers listening to this, they're like, okay, great, Ross. Like, I know <laughs> I have to produce great content. How should I be thinking about distribution and what can I do to get started to build my distribution? And, and, you know, what are some things that you've seen
1: work? So the first thing that everyone needs to do is they need to try to find channel user fit. And channel user fit is the idea of going deep into understanding the audience, the users, the people who you're trying to influence, the people you're trying to serve and connect with, and then think about what channels they're spending time on. And what you want to do is you want to deeply dive in and study and understand, okay, they are spending time on this channel. What is that? Are they spending time in a subreddit? Are they spending time in a forum? Are they spending time in a Facebook group? Are they spending time on Twitter, LinkedIn? What channel is this audience spending time on? And when you understand that, you then need to spend time thinking about how competitive are these spaces as it relates to your audience? Is your competition on TikTok? Is your competition on Reddit? Are they in these Facebook groups? Are they sponsoring these newsletters? And when you start to better understand how your competition is using these channels, you are going to quickly uncover an arbitrage opportunity because there's going to be a channel where your audience is spending time, but your competitors are not. And what that typically means is that you have a open opportunity in front of you where you can go in and you can communicate and connect with this audience in a place where a brand has not gone before. Reddit is one of, in my opinion, most underrated channels because marketers break out into hives every single time you bring up the idea of marketing on Reddit. Why? Because marketers know, and I do too, as a marketer and as somebody who's been banned and blocked from Reddit a few times, that if you go into Reddit and you do things that are against the rules, you will get kicked off of that channel very fast. It is a real thing. But if you can understand the code, if you can understand the culture, if you can understand the space of the subreddits where thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, sometimes even millions of people are spending time every single month. You can go into these communities, add value, distribute your content within them, and extract value back. So long story, a little bit longer. What do you do? You start by studying and understanding where your audience is spending time. You can use tools like audience, you can use tools like SparkToro, you can use good old fashioned Google and type in forums, subreddits, you can use a good old fashioned search to uncover where your audience is spending time, and then go into these channels, figure out is my audience here, and then start spreading your content into those channels as well. But it starts first and foremost with marketing 101, getting close to understanding the people you're trying to reach.
0: Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And it's something that we we say all the time to a lot of our clients is looking before you leap to to create great content costs money. And so from a marketing perspective, you know, you only have so much budget to spend on content looking before you leap. And then the other kind of phrase that stealing a Charlie Munger quote is fishing where the fish are. So like look before you leap so that you can fish where the fish are.
1: Exactly. hundred yeah. percent. I love yeah. that.
0: You know, when you're thinking about like building, building strategy, a lot of our listeners are, are strategists, right? So they're sitting there going, okay, my channel strategy, my content strategy. Do you kind of have any core principles besides the ones you just mentioned that, that, you know, you would recommend they use as they kind of build out content distribution strategies?
1: You also want to find like your content user fit. And that happens when you go into these communities and you start to reverse engineer the best types of content within these different basis. So let's use Reddit as an example. If I am trying to create content that's going to resonate with strategists on Reddit, I'm going to go to a subreddit called rstrategists. I don't know if that exists. I just came up with it off the top of my head, but let's say it does. I'm going to go into this community and this is going to be a place where 10,000 strategists spend time every single month talking about strategy. Now, it would be easy for me to just look at it and say, yep, the strategists are here, let's submit our links and let's call it a day. But what a real great strategist would do is they're going to go into that community and they're going to sort the content by top posts of all time. So they're going to analyze now what the top pieces of content have been in this community for the last two decades, whatever that may be. And they're going to start studying and seeing what content rose to the top. Why is this type of content, this format of content resonating with this audience consistently? And what can I do to create something similar? So if I notice that strategists love templates, what am I going to create? I'm going to create a handful of different templates. I'm gonna create a SWOT template. I'm going to create a scaling up template. I'm gonna create a handful of different templates for this community and then I'm gonna give it back to them. I'm also going to create a long form piece of content in this actual community using a text post that's going to break down the 20 templates that every strategist needs to get a promotion in 2025, whatever that may be. So I'm gonna deliver that to them as well because now I know that this community wants templates but I go a step further and I'm going to start to actually create a spreadsheet that outlines a trend. Is it just templates that these people want? Probably not. They might also have a deep interest in salary guides and information surrounding salaries of strategists. So if that's something that I can create, I'm going to give that to them as well. And I'm going to continue to go through every single post and try to keep track and identify a trend around the topics that they're interested in, the formats in which they want to get that content. And then I'm going to give it back to them consistently until I run out of ideas, which is pretty much never. So that's where I would start. And then once you've saturated and been able to extract a ton of value out of that one channel, you do it in the next one. So you use that same philosophy, that same idea, around Facebook groups. You use that same philosophy around podcasts and you reverse engineer it. I would ask you, Hey, Charlie, what have been the best episodes that you've had on your podcast? And then you're going to send me five links. I'm going to listen to them. And then I'm going to try to be better than those podcast interviews that you've given. And that again, is the format that you take from channel to channel, audience to audience. And if you do that consistently, you'll be able to leverage content user fit and ultimately drive ROI for whatever efforts you're trying to create. Mm-hmm.
0: That, that all sounds like a lot, but I guess what I'm hearing is the, the difference between like good and great, or maybe like average and great is the yeah. depth in which you go. And like kind of that upfront work. Cause I feel like it, people in content are like, yeah, I just go and I produce and I create. And like, right. all I'm doing is like producing a ton of content, spending yeah. maybe not as much time on the distribution, but even that stuff upfront, like that kind of content research upfront sounds like that's where a lot of the work really needs to happen. The production is actually quite small because you've done that research. And then so it's, you know, just to kind of frame it up, it's like 40% research, 20% production, 40% distribution would kind of be like in those three buckets. Is that kind of what I'm hearing?
1: hundred percent. And I think a lot of people get intimidated by that type of a breakdown because Mm -hmm. they just want to get into the weeds and start creating, right? When you hear sentiments and ideas that content is king, content is king, you lean into this idea of acting like a production firm where you just want to produce, produce, produce. I think one of the biggest mistakes that have happened over the last five, 10 years in content marketing overall is the idea of content marketing firms, content marketing agencies, et cetera, content marketing freelancers, Shifting away from a simple word, which is marketing, it's not content, it's not you're not in the industry of just content, you're in the content marketing industry. And a part of marketing is research and distribution. But so many companies, so many people have fallen into the trap of thinking all they have to do in their job is produce good content but you also have to market that content. And to create content that is actually good, you have to do research. Thomas Edison has this quote, I love it. It said, opportunity is missed by people because it's dressed in overalls and looks like work. And I think that is one (laughs) of the biggest opportunities that exists in our space. Sure, you might not need to wear overalls to do research online, but it is a lot of work. And if you are not willing to put in the work, then you're gonna fall behind against those who are willing to put in the time to understand their audience, understand the channels, and then use that. their advantage.
0: Yeah. But that rings super true for me. A a close friend of mine who I used to work with at Red Bull, one of my best friends outside of work, we kind of always used to have this chat that, you know, a lot of people use who are just like, I'm a, I'm a content person. And they would just kind of create these (laughs) art projects. And we, we would constantly be banging our heads against the wall because we'd be like, we we're employed by a marketing department at a for-profit company. And so we kind of had this phrase that marketing is art for the sake of commerce, commerce being the key word.
1: I like that. We are here that. to
0: make money. And yeah, so yes, as a career, as an individual, you know, it's fun for us to create content and that's kind of what we get our rise out of it. But like, also, yeah. if you're not going to keep it in mind and how it's going to push the, the brand forward, be, you know, generate ROI, whatever the, the action is that you need to take. Hey, yeah. there's the door in the art is just down the road. Go, be, go it. get after it. You know, that's
1: it. A hundred percent. Like you have to realize at the end of the day, this is a capitalist game. And I know folks oftentimes these days, will be like, "Ah, I don't want to do that. It's the truth, right? Like at the end of the day, we're in business and we're doing business to generate results for the companies that we serve, the clients that we lead, et cetera. And you have to get excited by that. Um, That's a part of the game.
0: Yeah. And I I want to kind of expand on that a little bit because I feel like COVID, this is a hypothesis that I have, and I'm curious to kind of hear your take. So with COVID, we've seen this kind of like acceleration of digital. So more and more people are spending time online over the past year and a half, two years, more and more businesses were forced to become more digitally savvy to continue to stay alive, which means, okay, there's more businesses on there. There's more people on there. More people are creating content on there. More businesses are creating content on there. More content is being consumed. It's getting more competitive in the same places. And so the hypothesis that I have or that we have as a business is like with that competition continuing to increase exponentially, the the separation is going to be that kind of Mm pre-work, that research, that insight to allow you to create something that will separate you from the pack. What do you think?
1: I think you're spot on. That's it. Like the research is going to give you that edge and in business. That's what all of us are looking for. And when you find it, you have to capitalize on it. You have to own it. And then, you don't rest on your laurels and say we found it. You say what's the next one? And yeah. you continue to innovate. I think that's uh that's the hypothesis of the new age for marketers. Yeah. And anyone who ignores it is gonna get left behind.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. I wanna I wanna kind of shift shift gears here let's talk about remixing or repurposing. Yeah. I, I know there's there's that TED talk where it's like creativity is a remix or everything is a remix. I want to bring up this book that I actually kind of read. It's called Will and Vision, um, How Latecomers Grow to Dominate Markets. It's by a guy named Gerard Tellis and Peter Golder. And they did this huge study. It's really hard to find, by the way. I found a used copy on Amazon with someone's like, awesome. notes in it and lines. I love it. Those um, are my
1: favorite types of books.
0: Yeah. and And I basically, it talks about how like, While the early bird might get the worm, the second mouse often gets the cheese. The late comers to things, the kind of second movers are the ones who kill it. So they give the example of Jobs kind of stealing the stuff from from either Xerox or whoever that was back in the day, the idea for the mouse. And basically they go through so many different business categories where it's kind of like corporate espionage. Like it was the second mover who was like, hey, there's something here. But we think if we make this little tweak, this is the thing that's going to go big. And so, you know, how do you think that plays into content remixing or or repurposing for distribution?
1: I think there's a million examples of this consistently in the space. Like you can look at a lot of organizations viewing um, things like TikTok as an opportunity in the early days. And a lot of the early adopters, et cetera, were great at it. They have done amazing. But I still think there's going to be brands who now study some of the creators, some of the brands that have been there early, and then use that for inspiration around how they should navigate those channels. And they'll find an edge that will ultimately allow them to thrive there. You can also see it on channels like Instagram. It was essentially the wild, wild west. You could do anything and everything. The algorithm wasn't that sophisticated. You put up some content. You could grow your audience to 100,000 people in probably two months. And now that brands have started to study it and have learned it from the early adopters, they've surpassed some of those early brands that were unlocking amazing wins on the back of Instagram, especially when you look at it from a B2C lens. Like when you look at direct-to-consumer, I can remember in the early days of Instagram, all of the competition, all of the contests, tag your friends, tag your partners, tag these people. Like this post. Yeah, like this post and we'll give you a (laughs) swimsuit. Like all of those things took off in the early days. Yeah. Then brands caught on and they've just taken it. A lot of those brands that had amazing early traction just lost Oh, because they weren't able to continue to evolve and grow, um, which speaks to the importance of being able to navigate multiple channels and stay on top of the latest trends that are shaping your industry. Mm -hmm.
0: And so that leads me to another question just about like when new things come out. And so, you know, I think back to my time working on the brand side was, you know, we had our core things, but what I would always encourage my teams to do is, hey, whenever there's a new feature, we need to try it right away so that we can kind of get that feedback because- You never know when there's going to be something where you're like, hey, we we actually like we've never done this before. We tossed this up and look what this did for us. And we caught some wave kind of by accident. What's your take on that?
1: That's innovation happens when you're quick to kind of experiment. And a lot of us, for some reason, step away from experimentation, but it is so key. Like a lot of the breakthroughs that we have in business, a lot of the breakthroughs that you have in marketing comes from your ability and your interest and commitment to experimenting with new things. So you Mm -hmm. should be testing everything that comes out. At the same time, I think it's also important to realize a lot of these platforms, when they roll out a new feature, they want it to win. So they skew their algorithm to incentivize the usage of these different things, whether it's Twitter spaces, whether it's video on LinkedIn, whether it's Facebook in the early days of launching the ability to actually just share an article for the first time. All of those things, when they first come out, that is the best time to do it because they want you to engage with it because they've invested so much engineering time into creating this thing. They want it to be successful. So it's definitely an opportunity and I think more brands should be paying attention to it.
0: Yep. Absolutely. Couldn't have said it better myself. I want to talk about this kind of phrase. Uh, You know, it's been said before that you can kind of create content once and distribute it forever. Is there ever a point where a piece of content can no longer be distributed or remixed, or does this only apply to evergreen content? I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on that concept.
1: So it definitely will depend on the type of content that you're creating, right? Every single piece of content that you create should have a different type of intent. Some content that you publish is simply going to be announcing that somebody joined your company. You don't need to promote that for three years they've joined your company. Hopefully they've done well. You don't really need to amplify that for three years at a time, but there's going to be other pieces of content that actually have utility value to an audience that you should be able to create once and then distribute forever. Now, one of the things that I oftentimes forget in that sentiment and that idea of creating once and distribute forever is to also optimize every Uh. year right? So you want to be going back to some of that content that you've created and optimizing it to ensure that old reports that you're referencing are now up to date. You want to ensure that the fact that you're calling out the year 2021 is now updated to 2022 and the next year it's 2023, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. If you're referencing an industry stat, you want the most recent stat. So you need to be going back and optimizing these pieces to ensure that yes, you can distribute it forever. But at the core, if you are creating something that is valuable for your audience. The day you press publish is the light beginning of the life cycle for that asset. And you should be able, if it is a highly valuable asset, to distribute that consistently. Why? Because the people who show up on day one to see that asset aren't actually going to be the exact same people who show up on day two, day 30, day 40, day 50, day 125, day 390. They're going to be different groups of people. They're going to be different groups of people because you're going to different channels. You're going to be spreading it across different networks. And not everybody is online at the same time. There are billions of people in the world and there are probably thousands at a minimum of people who are going to be looking for answers to a question that Mm -hmm. your content could answer. So if you can solve their problems by distributing your content forever, you are going to infinitely have the ability to solve problems and ultimately extract value out of the relationships that you're building with these people.
0: Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. That content updating or optimizing on an ongoing basis, I feel like is something that is is often overlooked. And yeah. it's, I think that's just a good reminder for, for anybody listening. When you publish something, if you kind of want it to have that shelf life or lifespan extended, then going back and, you know, whether it's the ultimate guide or top 10, right. whatever, top 20 stats or whatever those things, those are super, super important to update. I, I want to talk a little bit more about distribution channels that you think are underutilized. I know you mentioned Reddit. I what yeah. We've done a lot of work across different industries. And one that's yeah. actually stuck out for us is Pinterest. We always see that Pinterest has a disproportionate impact on businesses to drive traffic versus maybe, you know, the amount of followers that they get. And it doesn't necessarily have that like viral aspect of like, right. you're watching your millions of views go up on YouTube, or you're watching a right. your real takeoff or your TikTok video, we kind of think about Pinterest as, as almost like another search engine, a ton of people spend time on there, there's a lot of attention there, and it can drive a lot of traffic for a brand. I'm wondering, do you kind of have any other ones that stick out where you're like, hey, this is a missed opportunity.
1: Yeah, I love Pinterest. I think that's a great call out. I think it's a, another amazing, underrated channel, especially in corporate settings. A lot of people think that Pinterest is just a great spot to find out how you should do your interior design, how <laughs> should you should plan your website, like what type of bookcase should we have, like how should my yeah. room look all of those things, but if you go to Pinterest right now, recipes, exactly. If somebody listening to this goes to Pinterest right now and they type in, I'm looking for social media strategy, cheat sheet, or I'm looking for um, how to learn Python. I can guarantee you with confidence, the information that you get back from Pinterest is actually going to be highly valuable and highly something you can use. So I think we all need to challenge our biases that we may have around these channels and realize, yes, even Pinterest can be great. So what are some other underrated channels? I think one that a lot of people are starting to finally wake up to, especially in B2B, and I've talked about it already a little bit, is Instagram. I do believe Mm -hmm. that Instagram is underestimated from a B2B lens. So if you're in the world of B2B and you're thinking Instagram is just for B2C, I believe you're actually incorrect. I think that there's a lot of value in using Instagram for B2B content. You just have to understand the content user fit for the audience. People don't necessarily need a stock photo. They want video. They want to see some carousels with text. Text content works really well on Instagram. So that would be one channel. Mm -hmm. Another thing that I think is underestimated is the power of niche newsletters, especially with the rise of Substack. You can go to Substack, you can type in a few keywords that are relevant into your audience, you can DM and reach out to a handful of the people who run these newsletters and you can actually sponsor their newsletters for a reasonable rate. I think that's a massive opportunity that is actually deeply underestimated across a wide range of different industries. Another channel that I think is deeply underestimated and we're going to really get woken up to it in the next 10 years is TikTok. And Mm -hmm. I know everyone thinks, oh, TikTok is all the buzz. Everyone's talking about it, blah, blah, blah. I hear you. And that is true again, from a B2C lens. My world is B2B. And in B2B, we sleep on TikTok, but I can guarantee that in 15 years, we're going to have CMOs of Fortune 500 companies who will point to TikTok as being the place where they learned marketing. They learned branding on the back of influencers who are on TikTok. So, if you run a SaaS company and you can get these influencers talking about how your tool can help them better understand SERP, understand the algorithms on Facebook, on LinkedIn, or who their audience is, and you can train them 15 years from now, the people who are making decisions are going to be looking at your product and using your product because you made that investment early on. So, those are three. I could go on because I do believe outside of the top three, like outside of the, the Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter mix, A lot of people still underestimate all of the different channels, whether it's a Slack community, whether it's a Facebook group, whether it's a subreddit, whether it's Quora, I think YouTube is still underestimated. I think a lot of channels are underestimated um, and it has never been a better time to be a marketer because of that.
0: Yeah, super interesting. I think back to we did. We've done a lot of um, insight work on on TikTok and same type of thing like TikTok used to be that thing where, hey, it's only young kids who are on this. And now I think we looked at the hashtag learn on TikTok and, you know, there's something stupid, like a hundred and something billion views, everything from science to math to you name it. There's stuff on there. And over a hundred billion views is no joke. Like people are consuming this stuff. Yeah. So I completely agree. I feel like it's just one of those awkward things, right? A lot of marketers don't necessarily like change. And I feel like yeah. the last, some marketers do like change. I think that was kind of an overstatement, but, but there are some marketers who are like, nope, you know, we've kind of had our core, like Facebook and Google yeah. and, you know, that sort of thing for the last decade of, of digital. And now yeah. there's kind of this new kid on the block, TikTok that has managed to yeah. kind of get to the jungle gym along alongside Facebook and and uh, Google and, you know, they haven't been booted, booted in the face off yeah, back to exactly. the bottom. So um, yeah, that's super, super interesting. I want to kind of switch gears here and, and ask you, what are you most excited about when it comes to marketing today? You know, you you have a lot of, a broad range of experience. Um, you're primarily in the B2B space. You could, this could yeah. be B2C that you're excited for or B2B. What kind of excites you, whether it's a, a trend, a topic, a concept, a framework?
1: Yeah. So the one thing that I'm thinking a lot about and has me super excited right now is the fact that marketing as an industry, marketing as a space, is quickly becoming barrierless in the mm. sense that anyone can get in. That to me is exciting. It's exciting because I'm starting to see... Not only in our own team, where we now have people who work at Foundation all over the globe, ranging from areas of Nigeria, all the way through to Ireland, across Canada, across the US, and potentially even further places as we continue to expand and grow. I think the world is going to change as marketers start to become a lot more diverse in terms of the backgrounds, the cultures, et cetera, and the spaces they come from. And that to me is very exciting because I think we're going to see how everyone can compete. And I am a major competitive head. Like I love to compete. It's like something that excites me. And the idea of competing on a global scale where you're not just competing with locals and the people who are, who happen to get into the the luxury of being born in the same area as you and you competing with them against the same accounts, blah, 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 and creating content that goes up on the local billboard. But now we're creating content on a global scale that can impact a global audience to me. That's exciting. It's exciting to see our world and our communities and our space just become so global where we have the ability to influence people on entirely different time zones and entirely different continents. Like that to me is exciting. And typically the answer to this is I'm excited about this channel. I'm excited about this. I think even more interesting channels, even more interesting creatives, even more interesting stories are going to come out of this. When I looked at it, I forget where the gentleman was from, but I seen the most recent TikTok billionaire or millionaire or something like that. And they were showing this thing and it was like somebody who's not from a traditional area. And it's like, this is what the world is going to be like. You're going to be competing with the best creative minds in the world. And that to me is exciting because not only from a talent standpoint, do you have now an opportunity to- to bring those people into your org because of the rise of remote work but on a competitive scale you now are going to compete with some of the greatest minds that just didn't have an opportunity to compete on a global scale in the past so for me those barriers coming down is so exciting for the industry at large
0: yeah that makes me actually think about when i was working at, at red bull in austria how our diversity was our strength on the global social team. There was something stupid, like 15 or 19 different nationalities. And I used to think of it like the UN, you know? So we'd get in a room and we'd be strategizing over something or talking about something. And, you know, there's a guy from Spain, a guy from Italy, a woman from China, a guy from the the US, I'm from Canada. We'd have someone there from the UK and someone from Lebanon. And I'd be, and, you know, we'd be all looking at the same problem or challenge, Mm. hearing the different perspectives man was so right. interesting. And I, I learned guess. so, so much. And I feel like you're absolutely right. Just with with the internet and people being more and more connected and how that relates to marketing. Um, you know, you can just, you can just learn so much quicker right. and have different perspectives that you would have never
1: even been able to access before. Exactly. It levels everybody up. Everybody gets leveled up on the back of it.
0: Yeah. This is one of my, my favorite questions to ask. I'm a beast when it comes to consuming mm-hmm. and reading information. I feel like I dropped out of university Uh, I never ended up going back, now working in marketing. The way that I've learned a ton is by listening and and reading things. How do you stay up to date on business and marketing? Who are you following? What are you reading? Who are you listening to?
1: I love it. So I am a, a big Twitter user. So I use Twitter often, and I find myself going into little communities and circles throughout Twitter to gain a lot of insight. So I follow a handful of different entrepreneurs, makers, people who are in the finance space, people who are in the crypto space, people who are in all kinds of different spaces. Because for me, what I truly believe is where you find differentiation and the opportunity to grow on an exponential scale is to actually try to stack different skill sets in different perspectives from a wide range of different areas. Mm -hmm. So I go go deep into different niches and I study them so I can apply that to my world of B2B SaaS marketing. So I'm following a lot of people right now in the world of real estate. I've been Mm -hmm. Following a lot of people in the world of finance and through those discoveries and through that deep little niche world that I spend some time in, I'm able to apply different theories and then bring it back into the marketing world as well. So I love to just stay curious. That's kind of one of my biggest mantras and ideas that I really would encourage everyone to do. And don't be afraid to go back to the classics. Like I think a lot of people underestimate the value of the classics. We all want to read the latest book, one of the newest books and whatever is on the New York Times bestsellers today. But scientific advertising, Ogilvy on advertising, building a story brand, like those are some classic books that are still very valuable. And I think a lot of times we get lost in this idea of always chasing the new, Um, but you can go back to some of the the OG original marketing books and still get a ton of value. The same way that you mentioned that book with all of the like writing in it, et cetera, like study that stuff, go into Mm. the archives of a site like SlideShare. Like this is a pro tip that I would have for those. SlideShare in its early days, Was filled and still is filled with slides and presentations created by some of the brightest minds in the world and those decks those presentations still exist there but nobody talks about them but if you go to slideshare today and you type in go to market strategy if you go to slideshare today and you talk about growth SAS, whatever you're going to find some of the best presentations that were ever given but have started to collect cobwebs and dust Directly in there. Another pro tip, since we're on this topic of yeah. something that I like to do, is the Wayback Time Machine. You use yep. Wayback yep. Time Machine to look at old blog posts that people created before they made it, and you get a better perspective into what actually got them there. Because it's easy to fall into the trap of studying someone where they are today while they have lost complete humility and context around where they were 10 years ago. Yep. But if you go back into time, into the Wayback Time Machine. You can study some of those early blog posts and see that they were struggling with a lot of the same things that you're struggling with now, but they've lost context. They've lost the familiarity with it. They've lost the essence of it. And if you can go back into time to get that, it can be really valuable for you to then see, okay, this is what they were actually thinking back then. How can I apply that to my life today?
0: Totally. Oh my gosh. the I've used Wayback Machine to look at old versions of marketing sites, but right. man, to go look at blog posts, that is a gangster tip. I love that. Love it. Um, yeah. Okay. I have a few more questions here. Uh, kind of a bit more rapid fire. You can answer either B2B or B2C. Are there any brands whose marketing you admire?
1: Ooh. So I would say... Th- this is not going to be a fun answer for folks, but I'm a Philadelphia Eagles fan diehard. And I have to say that they did a great job at convincing me to love the team. So I'm going to point to them, but I'll also go a little bit further with my B2C play and geek out a bit, but I also love Madden. And I think that Madden has done a great job. Their game is the same. It's very boring. They don't upgrade it much. And I hope nobody listening from EA is listening to this, but they do a horrible job at updating their game, but their branding and their marketing to continue to get us to pay for it is great. And they've done an excellent job at that. And I think that that they've done an amazing job with it that would be, those are some of the brands that I look at. Others, you know, like the Canva's in the B2B slash B2C world. I love what they've done. I think that they are marketing excellence of this generation and they've done something that is magnificent. And I'm not humble enough to say, I also really love what foundation is doing. I think the foundationites and the team that we've built are doing some really cool thing, not only for our clients, but also with the foundation brand. And I think in the years to come, we hopefully can continue to create content that shapes culture in this space and ultimately, influence people to really create content that's worth creating.
0: Totally. What would be a piece of advice that you think a marketer, either B2B or B2C, should be keeping top of mind as they kind of move ahead in their careers?
1: do the things that you're afraid of. And I know that sounds very cliche and very basic. And some folks are like, oh, I'm done listening to this podcast. That's so much fluff, but you actually should do the things you're afraid of. And what you will find is when you get that feeling inside of you that this thread that you're about to press publish, you should just save it in your drafts and not share it. Or you're about to share something on a Reddit and you're like, no, I don't want to get blocked today those are the moments that you should actually actually push through because you're going to do one of two things. You're either going to surprise yourself and have an outcome that is way beyond your imagination, or you're going to be met with crickets or get blocked and it's not going to sting that bad. And then you build thick skin. So do the things that scare you and lean into that very frequently. And over the course of your career, if you do it long enough, you're going to be a completely different person.
0: Totally. Last question where's the best place to people to, for people to find you online or, or get a hold of you
1: yeah. So find me anywhere on the internet. So you can look me up Ross Simmons. I'm at the coolest cool on most Twitter accounts. I created my Twitter and on my university days, So don't judge me on that one, <laughs> um, but I would love to stay connected. So yeah, find me on Twitter, find me on LinkedIn. Let me know that you found me through the Charlie podcast with right metric, and uh, I'll be sure to connect with you on LinkedIn, all of those different channels. Thanks for having me on. I hope your audience got a lot of value out of this. I have deep respect for Another Canadian having a positive influence on the culture by creating content like this. So my hat's off to you. Thanks for having me on. I hope your listeners got a ton of value out of today.
0: Ross, I, sentiments echoed, my friend. I, uh, As someone who's been following you for, for a long time, it's it, I'm so appreciative that you took the time to chat with us, um, hear your thinking on on certain things, unpack things a little further. And so, yeah, we'll have to do it again sometime soon.
1: Indeed. We went deep. I love it.
0: for show notes, other episodes, and more content, check out rightmetric.co. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening.